The Big Picture, a Christian insight into the world of movies, television and pop culture with magazine editor Ben McKechn and scriptwriter Mark Hadley. A Bible Society Australia production, sharing the light of God's Word into every corner of your world. Hey, what's up? I'm Ben McKechn. And I'm his tanning consultant, Mark Hadley. Welcome to episode 93 of The Big Picture for the week beginning February the 5th. And coming up on today's show... Matthew McConaughey turns in a 94-carat performance (laughs) in gold. And we take a professional look at issues raised by the Golden Globe's best film, Moonlight. And M. Night Shyamalan is back with his latest thriller, Split. Show who? Yeah, M. Night Shyamalan. What? The guy who made The Sixth Sense. I should have just said that. The guy who made The Sixth Sense. G'day, Sam. Hello. You're not the guy who made The Sixth Sense. I wish. Yeah, that was a pretty pretty well off, wouldn't it? But we're going to find... Then again, it was the same guy who made Lady in the Water. Yeah, oh, true. So <laughs> will Split be more Sixth Sense than Lady in the Water? We shall find out much later on. Okay. Let's find out what's happening in the cinema this week. What's coming out, Ben? All right, guys. Two films that opened last Thursday at cinemas. Here's the bigger one before the smaller one. The bigger one, Patriot's Day, which is an account of the Boston Marathon bombing back in 2013 and basically how the police in the city and all the various investigative forces banded together and tried to work out who did this and to catch them terrorists. Mark Wahlberg, John Goodman are in this. And this is from Peter Berg, who directed Deepwater Horizon and Lone Survivor and Friday Night Lights in the last couple of years. So I'd expect it would be quite intelligent, mainstream, blockbusterish entertainment. That's Patriot's, Patriot's Day. That's the bigger one. The smaller one is Manchester by the Sea, which I'm much more interested in uh, for a number of reasons, including that Casey Affleck, the brother of Ben Affleck, Mark Hadley. Is Ben in it? Who you love and adore. No, ah. Ben Affleck is not in it. Casey Affleck's in it. He won Golden Globe for Best Actor in Manchester by the Sea. And it's about a working class guy who's not happy or feels very and feels very ill-equipped to be the guardian of his nephew. And cue intense, intimate drama from that point. Manchester by the Sea, Patriot's Day are in cinemas now. What about the small screen, Mark? Well, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the new ABC drama, Newton's Law. And I use new with inverted air commas, if you know what that sort of thing looks like. Because basically, the ABC is launching this Thursday, February 9 at 8.30pm, a drama about Josephine Newton, a suburban solicitor with an overdeveloped sense of responsibility who attempts to return to her briefly glorious stint at the bar. Does this all sound just wow, desperately a new, familiar? a new law drama. I know, of the ABC, set, you know, is mm. struggling woman trying to find... Uh, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, look, it's So you sound on. thrilled, Mark. I'm not. Um, no. Look, I haven't seen an episode yet, so it might be actually groundbreaking Australian television, but it doesn't sound like it. How about you go and have a look at Newton's Law... This, Maybe I will. ...this Thursday, 8.30pm, and tell us on the Facebook page if I was completely off on my prediction. But instead, this week on Netflix, if you're in the mood for romance, if the answer is no, then you will certainly be after you watch this variety show that's hosted by... Michael Bolton. <laughs> as, yes. in, as in Michael Bolton? Michael Bolton himself. As in sitting on the dock of the bay cover version, Michael Here Bolton? Here he is. Yes, it's Michael Bolton's Big Sexy Valentine Day special. <laughs> is did that you, the title? That did you say, did you say Michael Bolton's Big Sexy Valentine's Day, Day special? special, yes. Are Expe- you actually condoning this, Mark? Expect it to be similar to Bill Murray's Netflix Christmas special, which, by the way, <laughs> if you'd seen Bill Murray's Netflix Christmas special, that was actually really good. Yeah, but that had Bill Murray I know, in it. This is wait, Michael Bolton. But Michael Bolton has guests stars Andy Samberg and Michael Sheen. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> All right. Well, I think we need to move to some entertainment news. Last week we heard about the Emoji film. What's yeah, going to be this week? How can I top it this week? Apart from announcing that The Expendables 4 is coming. Oh. I'm sure you gentlemen are massive fans of Expendables 1 to 3, those films that Sylvester Stallone got up, which are basically throwbacks to 1980s action movies. And the most notable thing about them was that Sylvester Stallone was somehow able to get all of these 80s action heroes into the same movies. Everyone from Arnold Schwarzenegger to Chuck Norris, I think, showed up. Dolph Lundgren, all these other dudes. Expendables I like 4 them, is coming. I like coming. to think of them as the collection of people who need a new pool. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's time and, to do another film. And if you're an Expendables fan, which I know you gentlemen are, you'll be on the edge of your seat to wondering whether finally Steven Seagal will turn up in an Expendables film because he hasn't been in 1 to 3 yet. Ooh, Maybe oh. Expendables 4 will have Steven Seagal. Find out sometime in the future. Maybe around 2018. I can top this. Okay. World War Z 2. 
World War Z 2 is in pre-production. It's been green-lighted. It's not a huge surprise that Brad Pitt is going to return to the role that gave him the uh, his first movie with the highest grossing film of his career, and it's now being redone. Now, you're looking at me and going, hmm. Uh, I, I liked it. It was good. I yeah. Guess. I don't know how fine. this is going to work. I'll like, tell you how it's going to work because World War Z... the first Z, one was about zombies taking yeah. over the world. Yeah. yeah. And so this one's about... Zombies, yes, who taking have, over the who have taken over the world. Oh, uh, so see, like ah, just a so like the Walking Dead, the TV series, kind of. Yeah, you see, look, the original book that this was written on. I know this sounds dumb. It, it sounds like a kind of a plastic action film, you know, World War Z, run around, shoot, bang, scream, or whatever. Anyone who's seen it knows it's actually a little more intense and interesting than that. It was based on a fantastic book. And if there's ever an argument for reading a book before seeing a film, World War Z, the book, is about uh, about 20 or 30 stories of people who lived through the zombie war, and it's them looking back on it and sort of sharing various moments in their life. And so this is going to kind of And be those like- are the stories that need to be told, Mark, <laughs> about are- people living Living through the, the zombie apocalypse. The film is going to kind of be like iRobot, where it sort of like leaps off a universe that's been created. I figure it's going to be, it's got plenty of depth to deal from from the original source material. I think it's going to be fun. Personally, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm looking for that chapter, So I Married a Zombie. <laughs> All right, it's time for True or False. Bum, bum, bum. What is the question? Okay, well, look. Earlier in the show, we talked about the fact that M. Night Shyamalan Ding Dong had um, a M. new film Night coming Shyamalan. out. M. Night Shyamalan. Show some respect. I will. <laughs> Did you know that he has turned down some rather successful films? I No, I don't believe no, he, I know he, this. He's actually, as a director, he has had his bite at some particularly juicy cherries. Okay, and some of them are what? I'm going to name three, and you tell me which ones he... Act, or which one you think he turned down. Okay. Okay, so A, did... Shyamalan turned down the opportunity to direct the Harry Potter franchise on three separate occasions. <laughs> on three. Three, three Harry okay. A, A. Yep. B, the Narnia Chronicles, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Did mm, he turn that yeah, down? Yeah. Or C, did he turn down the opportunity to co-write and work on The Life of Pi? Oh, man, my money is on A. I hope anyway, it's not A. That would I be really silly. Hope it's How A. about we come back I'm and we find I'm chuckling already. Dear me, well, it's time for what your kids are watching. And I've got to ask the question, do you, your kids enjoy the ill factor when it comes to television? Is their favourite word grouse? Um, <laughs> is their favourite word what? Grouse, like, uh. like L, Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> anyway, are they forever taking off their Band-Aids to have a look? That's pretty, that's pretty out there. All right, yeah, well, we gross. have got a show for you. It's called Operation Ouch a kids' TV series that takes little minds into big hospitals and shows them the sorts of things that doctors have to cope with every single day. Ugh, doesn't sound like my cup of tea, that's for sure. It's part education, part comedy, and not for the squeamish, but underneath all the experiments, jokes, and drama are God-given designs that never cease to amaze. So Richard, how would you have treated someone during the First World War with a very badly broken leg? Basically, you'd use a Thomas Flint, and the way this works is by re-knitting the bones together and using something called traction. If you break your leg very badly, the muscles around it pull the leg shorter and the bones overlap. Traction works by pulling the muscles back to allow the bones to be realigned. Stabilising broken bones like this saved lives during the war because it meant blood loss could be controlled and there was a better chance of keeping infection out. Operation Ouch is a British children's educational television program about the human body, basically. Most episodes are set in accident and emergency. The sort of place you want to avoid, generally speaking, but you're going to go in and you're going to see lots of things right up close and personal. Um, Look, it's hosted by twin brothers, Dr. Chris and Dr. Zand Van Tulliken. Say that again. Dr. Chris (laughs) and Dr. Zand Van Tulliken. All right. Dr. Zand Van Tulliken. I know. There's a name for a superhero, don't you think? It's Dr. Zand Van Tulliken. He's here again. Look, not only do they describe and occasionally show with warnings what's going on. The twin doctors also perform experiments so kids can see how sort of body processes work. Uh, and it's also a show that recently was featured live as part of the Sydney Film Festival. Sorry, the Sydney Festival. Live right. on stage at the Opera House. <laughs> they operated on people in front of... 
the Opera House. Yeah, I don't know, yeah. but um, they did issue little paper bags for everybody who <laughs> wow. were actually watching the show. And you know, for kids, like how, how would you actually describe the show? You said that it's set in accident and emergency. Like wh- what? <laughs> it's kind of part ER, part horrible histories. <laughs> right, so imagine, right. So it's kind of comedy and kitchen fun and even dress up at the same time as they say. And here's the interior of your pancreas. <laughs> Finally, they they normally do things like this. Okay, they do say things like, "Now we're about to show you something really gross." Okay, and my boys lean in, and my wife goes to the kitchen. Okay, so (laughs) look, my kids love it. Um, They love Dr. Chris and Dr. Zan. They've got good good personalities. They're kind of like Willy Wonka in a chocolate factory, uh, (laughs) except in an emergency ward. So, is this educational viewing? Do you think is it like is it actually good for kids to watch? Yeah, well, it's not just medical information, so it's not dry or anything like that. It's certain, certainly fun and interactive. There's sort of scientific processes going on, and they're describing those with you know lots of graphics and and also funny experiments. And then they even do specials, like they recently did a special on World War One, uh, and so what medicine was like in World War One, and showed the kids and got into the trenches and dressed up in the uniforms and that sort of stuff. So it is educational, but I think also. Um, it is, if there's a warning, then I think the, I would say it's the same warning you have with every medical program, whether it's adult or children. One of the things that we sort of get sucked into a bit, and this is no offense to our friends in the medical profession, is that doctors can solve anything. But if you've actually ever talked to, say, um, parents who have kids with serious disabilities or problems or struggles and things like that or diseases, um, it is actually a good reminder that these programs present us as more capable than we really are. So kids might come out going, wow, they can do anything in hospitals. And the truth is our knowledge is not as well documented. Now, medical programs often tend to be sciencey rather than spiritual. Is there anything that parents can talk to their kids about from this show? I can talk to my kids about it. As I said, my wife can't because she's usually hiding on the other side (laughs) of the kitchen door. Uh, But I think that there's a great thing that just keeps coming out again and again and again in this series, and that is that there is just wonderful design in the human body. I mean, you can't just keep looking at it and expecting that this all came about as a kind of a series of flummoxing mistakes over several millions and millions of years sort of thing. It's like suggesting that this radio show came about because there was an explosion in a brick factory you know it, it and, what, and a radio station got built out and, of that you and mean? we turned up and yeah. and this comes together so neatly you know all yeah, this sort of yeah. stuff I, I feel like um when you look at operation ouch again and again and again though the program itself is not christian and it's not aiming to be so it is ultimately revealing the wonders of the body again and again and again and i figure that's not a bad thing to put in front of kids and encourage them to think it through All right, well, Operation Ouch is rated PG for mild themes and medical procedures and probably a bit of L as well. It stars the dauntless (laughs) twin doctors, Chris and Zand... I'm not even going to... Go on, say it. Zand Van Tulliken. There you go. And it's available for your viewing pleasure daily on ABC (laughs) Me. Oh, dear me. Mate, you've been praising that at home. Well, are we ready to find out what the answer was to this? I'm just jumping in there. Yes, true or false answer, please. please. Yes. So, which film did he turn down? Which opportunities did he turn down? Did he turn down the opportunity to direct the Harry Potter franchise on three occasions? Did he turn down Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Did he turn down The Life of Pi? Which is it? A. You're going with uh, Harry Potter? I hope it's A. Yeah, it's all of them. What? Sorry. I know. He turned down oh, the Harry Potter franchise. Goodness. He turned down the Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe. He turned the Life why? of Pi. We don't actually, oh, I can tell you why. Oh, that's not hard. He turned down Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone because he was working on Unbreakable. Right. Okay. okay. He, was tu- he turned down Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban because he was working on The Village. Okay. Mm. He, t- he turned down Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire because he was working on Lady in the Water. <laughs> Okay. Ew. Then he turned down Life of Pi because he was still working on Lady in the Water and mm. wanted to get it just right. I wonder how he looks back on those moments. Fondly. If I were him, I'd only be looking forward. <laughs> All right. Well, coming up on the big picture, lots and lots of gold, a soundtrack choice that it's worth its weight in the stuff, and we go hunting for buried treasure with Mr. Matthew McConaughey. Welcome back. Gentlemen, for our soundtrack choice this week, ahead of talking about Oscar winner Matthew McConaughey's gold, we chose this little piece of Sonic Gold. Thank you for coming home. Sorry that the cheers are on. I left them here, I could have sworn. These are my salad days, maybe an eternal way. Just another play for today. Oh, but I'm Nothing left to make me feel 
1983's True Album by Spandau Ballet. That's gold, gold, gold. And we're playing that, well, because we're about to talk about gold, this new Matthew McConaughey movie. But this song, Gold, isn't actually used in that movie. And I was very surprised to find out that gold doesn't turn up in too many movies or TV shows. So we put it in soundtrack segment this week, just thinking, oh, plenty of films and TV shows would have used it. Not really. Last year's Sing Street, it was in that. Michael Caine's revenge flick Harry Brown from about five or six years ago couple of tv shows that's about it that's it i cannot wow. believe that more play more movies do not use spandau ballet's gold because it is gold in my books i think it's because of the name of the band <laughs> is it that's that's an impediment yeah to, you because think? spandau is named after a particularly popular form of machine gun used by the germans during world war ii what didn't there know you that. Go. is it thanks for welcome, ruining spandau ballet for me welcome to the big picture where you learn lots of helpful things It's been far too long since we've seen a good old-fashioned treasure hunt on our movie screens. And in the 80s, we had The Goonies, Indiana Jones, even Scrooge McDuck scoured the world to find treasure. So what jungle gems will Matthew McConaughey unearth in the new drama, Gold? It was 88. I lost my house. I lost everything. Most people would have been dead, but not me. Do you walk in the Valley of Kings? I had a dream. Do you walk in the shadow of men who sold their lives to a dream? We got a gold mine. We got a gold mine. We got a gold mine! We believe you're sitting on the largest gold find of the decade. We're talking over $30 billion. How does it feel to be a rock star? There's no way I could possibly describe the feeling. But it's amazing how little gold can just change everything. Something seems too good to be true. It usually is. Now, lads, I managed to catch this one. Oh, yeah? So I want to share my thoughts on gold. It's the story of Kenny Wells, who is played by a smoking pot-bellied Matthew McConaughey. Oscar-winning Matthew McConaughey. Very far from Fool's Gold of 10 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) No one has talked about that movie for 10 years. That film with Kate Hudson that he made up on the Gold Coast, Fool's Gold. Yes, that's right. That was a shocker. Yeah. What about this one? Well, he's gone from ab there to flab because he's (laughs) pot-bellied. He's a businessman working in Nevada and he's struggling to follow in the footsteps of his father whose businesses, whose business he has inherited. Um, and so one night, Wells has this dream about an untouched jungle where gold lies beneath the surface. 
So he decides to take a chance to actually follow this dream, literally chase the dream <laughs> and find this jungle. And he teams up with a geologist called Michael Acosta, paid by, played by uh, Edgar Ramirez. I, I think it's he say it. Ram- Ramirez. 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 Thank you very much. Uh, he flies to Indonesia to see what bounty lies beneath them thar jungles. <laughs> but meanwhile, while he's over in Indonesia, his marriage to his wife Kay, played by Bryce Dallas Howard, becomes even more strained as the search for gold goes on. Okay, so there's gold, there's a treasure hunt. Um, is it an adventure film? Well, you know, I, I got the press release about this film. I saw the trailer. I thought maybe it is. Maybe it's like an Indiana Jones adventure type film where they're going to go into this jungle and search for gold, just like the olden days. With a pot belly smoking. With a pot belly smoking. Indiana Jones. Could be okay. Indiana Jones isn't looking particularly young let himself go, yep. But that's not what this is. Okay. It's not at all a treasure hunt film. In fact, really, Matthew McConaughey playing this character, Kenny Wells, kind of turns up in Indonesia, they walk through the jungle and they find gold pretty much straight away. (laughs) It's that easy. It's very simple. But there are twists and turns along the way. And it's actually based on a true story of the Canadian company Brex. I think that's how you say it. Brex. Sure. Minerals, who back in 1993, so I was in primary school. I don't know if you remember this story at all. (laughs) We are a bit older than you, Sam, but I I don't necessarily remember all the updates on Brex Minerals. I do remember playing the stock market at that point. (laughs) Yes, that's right. Well, uh, that, that company, uh, was involved in a mining scandal because it, it, it had a massive gold deposit um, was was supposedly discovered in the jungles of Indonesia. So this is kind of based around that uh, story. So but, the story um, is about the scandal. Yes, but sort of. I wouldn't say look up. Don't look up the scandal before you see this movie because it will ruin some of the twists and turns for you. So it's based on reality, but in a way it's not. Anyway, I'll leave it there for you. It's more, and this film, rather than an Indiana Jones film, it's more of a big short film, you know, a thrill ride around stocks uh, with a bit of malaria on the side. (laughs) The big short meets malaria. That's That's right. Order of malaria. Well, look, let's focus in on Matthew McConaughey then. He's the star of the show. Mm -hmm. So he's gone from kind of heartthrob early on in his career. Fool's gold. Right through. (laughs) But now he's all sort of fairly selective stuff, like Free State of Jones, really dramatic roles. Do you think he's chasing Oscar glory with gold? I think so. And I think it's a bit even too much. So we were talking about the fact that it's not, you know, 24 karat gold. It's more like 94 because he's pushing it so hard in this film to have this dramatic role. And he really does push himself very much. And it's quite, you know, impacting his performance. But at the same time, everything else kind of gets lost in the background because he's going so hard at being this businessman who gets fired up you know, looking for this treasure and also everything's falling apart around him. So I think he does put in a great performance but it's probably overshadowing everything else that's going on in the film. What's the rest of the cast like? Like Bryce Dallas Howard, Edgar Ramirez? Oh, she's they great. do pretty good they work are great. elsewhere. Yeah, they're really, really good, especially Bryce Dallas Howard. She she really plays that role of someone who's been left behind and struggling to, to keep the family going, so to speak. Um, but, yeah, Matthew McConaughey is just, like, right in your face the whole film. Yeah. So if Kenny Wells is chasing his actual dream, he actually had yeah, a dream. Dreams, yeah. He's following the actual dream in gold. Does this film mine some deeper truths about standing by what you believe in? Yeah, I think so. I think uh, what's interesting about this film is that Matthew McConaughey dr- describes himself as a prospector, not a word we really talk about these days. It's more you get get those images of people back in the gold mines. Yosemite Sam. Exactly. Yeah, He's a prospector. Yeah, turned up hat and nice yeah. tin plate. And he describes a prospector as someone who has the belief that it's out there. And obviously he's talking in this sense about gold. Uh, but I think so... You know, he has his dream of this very location, this gold is is discovered and he chases it. And I think in a way, even though he's chasing gold, I think it shows something of faith. You know, we have a belief that it's out there, that that, that God is out there, that, that we are saved. And, you know, often that means that we have to follow our faith, you know. We have to go with a trust, chase a dream of sorts. Go and seek after it. But that dream is actually based in some reality, though, as opposed to this one sounds like a guy had a dream at night and then somehow like throws his whole lot in with That's what he's true. had a vision of. That's true. Which have... may or may not be true or based on anything. Exactly. So, you know, that was a bit of a crazy pursuit. Yet for us, we have God's word and all of that written down for us, eyewitness accounts for us to base our faith in, so mm, to speak. Mm. But the other thing is, uh, another thing that is raised in this film is the, the danger of chasing gold. And it's very much reminded me of the film that came out last year, The Founder with Ray Kroc. And he was so hard on pursuing this dream of seeing this franchise McDonald's explode that his family just gets left behind. And that's exactly the same as with what happens here. That The danger of chasing wealth, especially when it comes to, to a stock market, which is quite, you know, Shakeable at times. Okay, well, Gold is directed by Stephen Gargan. Is it Gargan? 
I don't know. Gagan? 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 And stars Matthew, all right, all right, all right, McConaughey, <laughs> Bryce Dallas Howard, and Edgar Ramirez. It's rated M for coarse language. And if you want to see this and sorts of other reviews you'd like to see that have to do with the big picture, then why don't you trip your way over to your keyboard, type in thebigpicturewebsite.com, and you can see all sorts of fabulous things that we've done over you can the 93 see us. episodes. Yeah, you may not want to do that. Actually. You can see well, you us. You can just listen to us. Okay. <laughs> or you can just listen to us. Yeah, okay, that's Across true. 93 episodes of reviews and top fives and other stuff and great moments great highlights so many highlights staring into each other's eyes and talking about movies and TV Uh, from a Christian perspective also you'll see on Facebook you can tell us exactly what you think of all that that's right (laughs) do we ramble too much about looking into each other's eyes possibly possibly You be the judge of that. Coming up on The Big Picture, a professional look at issues raised by the Golden Globe's best film, Moonlight, and The Sixth Sense director returns with a thriller about mental illness. Welcome back to the show. Well, have you ever heard of the Golden Globes? Probably the most significant film awards next to the Oscars and the Eternals, of course. (laughs) Of course. Um, Well, a few weeks back, the Golden Globe for Best Picture was handed to a little-known film called Moonlight, the story of a man's journey defining himself through a maze of youthful sexual confusion. So this week, we thought it would be helpful to take up that issue with psychologist Lynn Worsley from the Resilience Centre and investigate how you can help kids avoid... Just that sort of confusion. And Lynn joins us on the line right now. Hello. Hey, Lynn. Hello. Thanks very much for being part of the show. Pleasure. Well, listen, the film Moonlight, the key character struggles to understand his sexuality from a really early age. It goes almost right through his childhood and early teens. Is that a common thing for people who are investigating or struggling with same-sex attraction? Yes, it is common, um, but it's equally as uncommon. So there are times when people have a struggle with their same-sex attraction, um, you know, in their teens, but they really haven't had any concerns during their early childhood. So, you know, in both ways, it's, it's quite common. That we often hear of children who have, uh, you know, they're called tomboys or, you know, they're a little bit more effeminate or they, they're not sort of, uh, you know, fitting the mould of boys' or girls' social norms. Um, and that, you know, I think in this day and age is a lot more accepted than it ever used to be. Mm. Um, but we also have times where young people get to their sort of early teens and that's when they start to struggle with uh, not necessarily same-sex attraction, but really their own identity as to what, um, what social norms they identify with or have pleasure in rather than sexually being attracted. I think it's fair to say that we're living in an age where there is increasing um, ambivalence towards uh, your your choice of sexual direction or, in fact, confusion for a lot of, of people as they're trying to work out what is, you know, what we used to have norms, you know, right and wrong and such. Um, That's right. What do we say uh, as parents or to parents, you know, who are trying to guide their kids through this or support them, what is a good way as a parent to begin to try and provide a a framework that will help a kid develop a strong sexual identity? I think um, if we use that, um, there used to be a a model that they used a number of years ago, which was the androgyny theory, which basically says on one side, if you think about a line, one side is that, you know, you've got your very feminine female who's, you know, a bit ditzy and, um, you know, doesn't really, uh, you know, engage much with anything that's physical and is just very involved in their own emotional um, uh, understanding. And then you have the other extreme, which is your very um, machoistic sort of male who uh, doesn't do very much emotional stuff but does all physical work and um, is very logical. And so when you have that sort of line, you can have like almost like a spectrum and most of us fall vaguely in the middle of that. Oh, I see. And, so it doesn't really matter, like male, female, so to speak, but all yeah. people will occupy a position on that line. Yeah, yeah. So if you, as a parent, can see that as being just the strengths of wherever you are on the line, it doesn't really matter. Um, it, it then becomes a nice, healthy way to start saying to your child, well, that's just who you are. And that's who God has made you, or that is um, how you've been created, uh, and that's just who you are, and that's how you relate to people is about who you are. 
what is often happened in the past is that if you aren't a girly girl, then you, there might be something wrong with you. Or if you aren't a, a masculine male, then there's something wrong with you. Well, that's not ever been the case. Everyone falls along the spectrum in some way. And so when you start thinking about your own sexual identity, um, sexual identity is around who you choose as a partner in your later life or what, what's, what gender you choose for your partner. Really what we need to be thinking about is to your own, just own identity as a person and who you are in your relationship with others and relationship with God. And as parents, we need to be making sure that there are people around the child who, has, who have got healthy, strong identities themselves and are able to relate to that person in a, in a way that says, you know, this is your strength, this is who you are, and I'm okay with that. Well, Lynn, that sounds like a fantastic way to point people to your website. If people would like to check out more, they can find more on the Resilience Centre. And thanks very much for being part of the show today. Thank you. Movies about mental health are as common as finding Ben at the cinema eating a choc top mm-hmm. or popcorn. Yeah, What's regular, your favourite? I'm regular. Popcorn yeah, all popcorn, the way. Cool. Uh, well, from Psycho to Girl Interrupted, A Beautiful Mind to Black Swan, the internal struggles of people have been steadily tapped for our entertainment. The newest movie to do this is Split, starring X-Men's James McAvoy and directed by the guy who brought us The Sixth Sense. So, is Split taking mental health issues seriously or is it exploiting them? Nine. The human brain is the most complex object in the universe. The only way we're getting out of here is if one of them decides to let us out. Aren't you the clever one? Hedrick, could you help us? Okay. I have a window in my room. Maybe you could show us. Oh, that's here. Now it's closed. Now it's open. Did you think it was a real window? Guys, as that audio some way demonstrates that clip from the trailer, which is so this is given away in the trailer, what Split is about is about James McAvoy as Barry or Dennis or a bunch of other characters, so to speak, because here's a guy who's got 23 separate personalities living in the one body. And the kickoff of Split is three girls and the main, three teenage girls, and the main one's played by an actress called Anya Taylor-Joy, who's starting to get a fair bit of work. Last year, she was in The Witch, and she was also in that film with Rooney Mara, whose name now I've forgotten, that you didn't really like. Nah. That starts with an M. <laughs> anyway, a bunch of movies. Anya Taylor-Joy, she's Casey, and these two other girls, they're kidnapped by Barry slash 22 other personalities plays by James McAvoy and kept in one of those basements that only crazy people in movies seem to live in and from there they're told that they're sacred food for the beast who is coming for them and so the rest of the movie is what treatment are they going to suffer and you know what's actually going to happen to them that's split Eee. Shyamalan is something of a hot and cold filmmaker, and I'm actually a Shyamalan fan, like probably more than most people I love his films, but I've got to admit hot Cold, hot, cold. Yeah, what is this? Is yeah, this you're hot right. That's a cold? that's a pretty good way to summarise the career of M Night Shyamalan. Since he kicked off with the Sixth Sense and and just like became a, a global superstar off the back of that film, and then ever since then he's never really fully reclaimed that mantle that he found with Sixth Sense. And that must be about 15 years ago. Uh, I really liked early movies that he did, like Signs and Unbreakable were quite good. But then the middle patch of his career, he just really went down more, further, further into the cold. Uh, we're talking about uh, Lady in the Water. Don't say it. Don't say it. The Village, The Happening. Oh. Oh, you said it after Earth <laughs> with Will Smith and his kid, and that was the, the last Airbender. The, uh, the last Airbender. Uh, I thought he had a bit of a resurgence last year with The Visit. Slight return of prominence for him. That was a, basically a found footage uh, movie about a bunch of kids who were menaced by their grandparents. That was really just a, a chiller designed purely to chill as entertainment. Split. Is it hot or is it cold? I reckon it's lukewarm, heading towards cold, and. I've got several issues with it, which we can unpack a little bit more. But where the visit last year, I think, was purely meant to just scare us, this one dabbles in mental health issues in a way that he's trying to use at Shyamalan for entertainment. But I think he does a disservice to the subject matter by not treating it as seriously or sensitively as he could. No, so you're saying disability is actually kind of a victim in the film, generally speaking. It's hard to get right on the big screen. Yeah, really hard. Do you think this film handles it well? No, no, that's where, that's where I'm headed. Um, look, I, I wanted it to be, and there's moments of it where it's being taken seriously. And and uh, this character, Barry, that James McAvoy is playing, has dissociated identity disorder. 
split personality, multiple personality disorder. Uh, that's largely been discredited around the world for the last couple of decades, as in it doesn't actually exist. But plenty of films love playing on this Jekyll and Hyde kind of idea that we have, that people can have different personalities within the body. At different points, Split attempts to put up almost a defense and, and say, we know what the elephant in the room is. We know that people say this doesn't exist. Now we're going to tell you that it does. And here's the proof, this Barry guy who's doing all these weird things to these teenage girls. But from that point on, where as much as there's some psychologists that turn up in the film trying to convince us, the audience members, that this could really be true, it goes further and further into just being a, a, a relatively cheap, kind of schlocky, exploitative thriller about what's going to happen to these teenage girls, how crazy is this guy really, and can we believe in what's going on on screen? So there is definitely some pit-of-the-stomach chills happening in this film, but it's largely because you can find with this nut job, you don't know what he's going to do. But that's about it. And, and so overall, I started feeling like I'm being exploited here and that these issues aren't being taken seriously. Instead, Shyamalan just basically used them as fuel for his not-so-great movie. Mm. This sounds like a Jekyll and Hyde plot. It kind does, of Sam. The wrestle between good and evil. Is that what's going on here? Yeah, well, to some degree, it kind of goes in that direction but then starts running away from it. So it does suggest that there's good and bad in people and that can be kind of separated out. That that does come up. But I thought it ran more towards the idea that trauma causes people to change or behave in ways that they wouldn't otherwise or and also in ways that they can't control. And then that goes further into this territory of there's a really big thread in Split of suffering equals being a real person that somehow you're not an actual person or you haven't really lived unless you've suffered and then further into this territory of suggesting almost that you can become superhuman or the next step in evolution unlocking the brain is through suffering that you can kind of grow through suffering uh, James McAvoy's character with all the different personalities is sort of trying to embody that but but and James McAvoy goes fine with this but there's so many extremes in his character it's difficult to take seriously and then Shyamalan chucks in these other components of abuse in the backgrounds of him and Anya Taylor-Joy's character that I've just found a little bit distasteful all of that getting wrapped up into this idea he's trying to push through of suffering being a serious thing and it could be the next step in evolution but God's already revealed that to us in Jesus, in that Jesus had to suffer for us to help us go through the suffering of this world so that we could evolve, quote unquote, for want of a better word, to a higher level. Like we can actually become the next level, which is like way above us, getting closer to God. We can already do that. And we often do that through suffering, through the things that we suffer in our life. We can get to that further point. That is one of the strongest things I took away from Split. It caused me to think about that. I don't know if too many other people will. I think too many other people will be sitting there just sort of twiddling their thumbs a bit thinking, I've seen all this before. It's not that great. And you're really exploiting mental health issues in a way that you didn't need to and you could have taken them a little bit more seriously and been a bit more sensitive about it, M. Night Shyamalan. Hmm. All right. Well, Split stars James McAvoy, Anya Taylor-Joy and Betty Buckley. Betty Buckley. Betty Buckley. She is the psychologist in this film. Yeah, she's okay. All right. It is rated M for mature themes, violence and coarse language and is now showing at cinemas around the country. Well, still to come, the most precious movies ever. Yes, continuing our treasure trove theme and the top five proof that all that glitters is not gold. Welcome back. Well, today we've had a bit of gold fever here at The Big Picture. The release of Matthew McConaughey's Gold inspired us to challenge our good buddy Russ Matthews, reviewer for Insights magazine, to find other precious metal movies. So for the Vault segment this week, Russ mined movie history to turn up a bunch of gems. So Russ, talk to us about precious metal movies. Okay, well, I found this like treasure trove of films. Wow, mate, you went for it in the first 10 seconds. <laughs> treasure trove. Treasure trove, you know, because we were digging for all these great ideas as far as looking oh. at the films. Yeah, I know. Just tell us about the films. <laughs> exactly. Well, with the film Gold coming out, we're kind of looking at some of the different films that have uh, precious metals kind of in their titles. And so it was interesting going through and looking. I thought there'd be a lot more, but uh, some of them would really be well known, especially James Bond seems to have a lot to do with uh, kind of precious metals. So the first one being Goldfinger uh, from a James Bond. Good choice. Yeah, and then it, well, you could jump then to the Austin Powers Gold Member uh, film too. It's kind of a nod to the whole thing. Yes. Then the Gold Rush, which is actually goes all the way back to your Charlie Chaplin era. Yeah, not James Bond, but Charlie Chaplin. Charlie, Charlie Chaplin. And then for those of us, you know, who really want to make sure you kind of have that heartfelt movie on Golden Pond. So uh, uh, exactly. 
So the silver, we've got Silver Lining Playbook, which is most recently. Yes, Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence. Right, exactly. And we have diamonds, like Blood Diamond. Yep. Uh, look at Blood Diamond. I can't believe you didn't say Silverado, though, Silver in silver. Oh, they, oh, love Silverado. Anyway. Not, but not, not enough to put it on the list, though. Yeah, I did not. But sorry, you were moving on to other metals. So beyond silver, you went for... Diamonds. And actually, actually, a film that didn't have diamonds in the title, but it's synonymous with diamonds. The diamonds are a girl's best friend, sang by Marilyn Monroe. It was in Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Yes. Correct, you passed. Yeah. And what about Diamonds Are Forever, the, the Bond film? That's on there? That was on there. Oh, my goodness. So we have two Bond films. And then you kind of go to the other kind of level of stone. So you have The Sapphires, another Australian film, Pearl Harbor. And also romancing the stone. Is oh, I'm seeing one. what you're doing here. Nice one, Russ. You really did dig through the treasure trove. I did dig deep. But I thought what would be fun, just in the last few seconds that we have here together, is kind of look at some big jewelry, iconic jewelry that come from film. So I'm going to quiz your abilities to remember some of these key things. Some of them would be easier than others. Okay, okay. we're okay. ready. Go. So the first one. The Pink Panther Diamond. From the movie The Pink Panther? Yeah, no. Oh, yeah. Oh, Ooh, one for one. Oh, ben. Okay, there you go. And then we have um, One Ring. The Lord of the Rings? Lord of the Rings, there you go. Russ, are these going to be this easy? Because if they are, this is the best quiz I've ever done. <laughs> there you go. You're doing, well, you're doing a great job. This next one, maybe I think you'll get it. The Philosopher's Stone. This might be Mark. This might be Mark Cathy's. Mm. Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone? <laughs> there you go. Oh, there you go. Okay, now, now they get a little bit more, more difficult. Heart of the Ocean. Jeep, uh, I want to go for Titanic, but that is it. Is it? Good. One of the biggest films of all time had a jewel as it's dropped in the ocean, not to spoil the end or anything like that. <laughs> but this one has been one of the biggest challenges for some people because it's kind of weird. It's not necessarily what you'd think of, but the galaxy. The galaxy as the a galaxy. stone called as the galaxy? Stone. Is it Guardians of the Galaxy? Men in Black. If you remember Men in Black, remember the cat had around its necks? It actually carried the galaxy. In its, it, in its uh, around its neck is the jewel, the heart of the film, but we may not have remembered it. I do not remember that, and that is a fantastic way to end. A very quick run-through of the treasure trove of cinema history, digging up precious metals. Thank you very much to our explorer and our miner, Russ. That's right, and hey, you're always golden to me. Thank you very much, Russ Matthews, for that big swag of gems from movie history. And for more swag of gems from recent movie history, go to insights.uca.org.au for Russ's reviews of the latest films, where we here at The Big Picture love to bring you the news on movies and TV shows from a Christian perspective. Russ also likes to do that on a regular basis. So go to insights.uca.org.au and you can read more of the Russ Matthews reviewing. Wait, while you've got that computer out, why not... Chip over to eternitynews.com.au. We also find a bunch of other stuff. If you're finding it hard, like me, to leave summer behind, you know, the break and all the sort of swanning around on the beach, you might want to have a look at Letters from the Beach, one of Eternity's most popular stories over summer, which is a series of diary entries and video footage of the annual beach mission at Huskisson. If you want to be inspired by young people dedicating their holidays to helping others and spreading good news to summer revelers, well, you can check out Letters from the Beach attorneynews.com.au Now earlier in the show we discussed the film Gold you where Gold Matthew uh. McConaughey has a big pot belly and he smokes and he's going bald but actually, that's not what the film's about. It's about a treasure hunt of sorts. It's not really a treasure hunt, actually. It was pretty disappointing in that way. <laughs> right. so it's not but, about that at all. But Where we are thought, you going with this? We thought we'd still string it into a top five. Oh, yeah. It's Why the not? the theme. So just to show that not all that... Sorry, just to show that all that glitters is not gold. There you go, because it's not a treasure hunt. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mark has something a little different in mind for this week's top five. Indeed, I do. I thought I'd share with you my top five Worst treasure hunts ever. Oh, yes. Ones that were so uninspiring that they probably dropped into the bottom catalogue of any movie history. Let us begin, shall we? Five. A little film I like to call Jewel of the Nile. Was that the sequel to Romancing the Stone? It was indeed. Romancing the Stone was really good in the 80s. It was. And they thought, hey, that worked once. Why don't we just get them all together again and do (laughs) the same plot? And I'll tell you why. Uh, Because it was a silly idea. (laughs) Was that Michael Douglas, Kathleen Turner, Dane DeVito in Romancing the Stone? They all came back for Jewel of the Nile. They all came back for Jewel of the Nile in 1985. Okay. And so basically what happens is they 
pick up where they left off six months later. You know how there's a oh, spoiler, spoiler. Um, Romancing the Stone finishes with the couple getting together and sailing off on a boat. Okay, so they're on the boat now and they're bored of each other. Uh, and then they get uh, an idea or Kathleen Turner's character gets a, a hint at Joan that she could go off and, and help out a um, the ruler of an Arabic nation unnamed. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay, and um, help him sort of somehow uh, become the saviour of all Arabic people. Um, like, like the actual saviour. Like I'm just going to say like that this spiritual is very not, very not PC for today. If you watch this film now, you'd be going, what? I don't think you can say that. Anyway, so she goes off and turns out that there is, in fact, no stone. There is no Jewel of the Nile. The Jewel of the Nile was a person <laughs> um, who, who was in a dungeon. How disappointing. They found him and he wasn't glittery or anything. It was a holy man who'd been locked up. And you know he's a holy man because he can walk through fire. It doesn't really make much sense. Uh, But the film ends with Jack and Joan back on the boat in exactly the same ending as the first film, sailing off to the sunset. Yikes. Okay, but it's bad news. Number five. Four. And that was only at number five. Well, because it gets worse from here. Now, I am a bit of a fan of the Pirates of the Caribbean. The first one was a cracker. Yes. Mm -hmm. I like that particular franchise, but nothing will save on Stranger Tides. Which one was that? That was the fourth one. And Uh, I know why you've forgotten it. Okay. I've forgotten the other two. The the sequels were... Black well, well, by the time they got to the fourth one, I'll tell you why you forgot it, because everybody went out and went, what? Improbable. That's impossible. <laughs> Jack Sparrow and Barbosa embark on a hunt to find the elusive Fountain of Youth, only to discover that Blackbeard and his daughter are after it too. So are the Spanish. So is everyone, basically. There's a, a Christian priest in it is after it. Some mermaids wouldn't mind it either. And they're all after this. Directed by this Ron sounds like Marshall. sounds a great treasure hunt. I know it does, doesn't it? But there's basically a hodgepodge of adventures as Captain Jack goes in search of this particular fountain, and Missionaries fall in love with mermaids. Cats are falling in love with dogs. The whole thing is just... It's just crazy town. Okay, and the... Basically, this film did so badly, the New York Daily News wrote, making a frustratingly dark movie even muddier. The 3D and IMAX options enhance nothing but the price of the ticket. It's a lesson on how to turn a winning franchise into a faltering failure, in my opinion, basically. So, so tight was the budget, by the way. I mean, this is one of the things. It was just... Comp- they. By the time they got to the fourth one of Pirates of the Caribbean and they'd run out of all their key characters and they'd lost Legolas, you know, and by that point, <laughs> they just got to the point where they're going, well, we haven't got much to spend on this. So little did they have to spend on this that, in fact, Johnny Depp ended up buying new waterproof jackets for 500 crew members on the set to protect them from the freezing weather. And basically $64,000 out of his own pocket because the film's too cheap. The only Pirates film not to receive a single Oscar nomination, not even in the special effects. The end of the story. Three. But it gets worse. If you're looking for a really, really, really bad treasure hunt. I'm often sitting around the house thinking, wow, what movie is a really bad treasure hunt that I could watch right now? What would you suggest, Mark Well, Hadley? I would say if you had someone coming over yes. and you didn't really want them to come over, <laughs> then it's very helpful to put a film on and say, hey, I think we might watch City Slickers 2 The Legend of Curly's Gold. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> and again, the first one was pretty good. It was. It was very entertaining. It was. And once again, that fatal flaw. Here's an idea. Why don't we get everybody together again and pretty much do the same thing? The Legend of Curly's I Gold. know. It's the sequel to City Slickers 1991. It stars Billy Crystal, Jack Balance, and John Lovitz and Daniel Stern. Billy Crystal's character Mitch is being plagued with nightmares about his deceased friend Curly. He too has a dream about a treasure to be found ah, somewhere. like Matthew McConaughey and uh, Gold. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yep. So you see, that wasn't a bad idea at all. Well, scriptwriters <laughs> should know. Don't follow that. Okay. And he comes to believe that uh, Curly might still be alive and, you know, a manner of speaking, he is after a fashion because Curly's twin brother duke turns up and soon we're off to find the dead brother's father's stash of train robber it's too convoluted okay but an improbable twist reveals that the real treasure of the plot is honesty <laughs> don't oh, don't i mean i love honesty I but know. really yeah like, you feel a bit cheated like no you go gold. all the way into the desert you dig up something as a piece of paper it honesty. was just an really? opportunity to be honest there you go. Oh, then, by the way, they have some gold at the end. Hey! A very poor excuse to get three guys back on horseback to sing again, frankly. Two. But nothing will ever be forgiven for the second film. I, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. 
Now, Isn't, really, that's the fourth film. It's the fourth. Indiana Jones series. This is my, second, the like, new this is my one. Oh, number, number two. two. Number two. I number see. two for worst treasure hunt ever. You can't forgive Indiana Jones and the King this. of the Skull. Wow. Okay, it was because I actually thought the Last Crusade was scraping the bottom of the barrel, and then they but come out with. But it had Sean Connery. That's it. what I'm saying. That, that, the only Indiana thing that Jones' dad. It, the only thing that saved it was a bit of star power. Okay, but instead we get into Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, the fourth installment in the Anna Jones series, created by George Lucas, who should have known better, but let's face it, he did Phantom Menace, so why would he? And directed <laughs> by Steven Spielberg. Uh, it basically pits Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones against Soviet agents, led by Arena Spalco, Kate Blanchett. Oh, yeah, Kate Blanchett. Searching for a tele telepathic crystal skull mm-hmm. okay it's everyone's treasure hunt. isn't it the sort of thing you're looking for i happen to have three of those in the back <laughs> of the cupboard indiana is aided by the son he never knew he had played by sheila booth named the unlikely name of mutt williams <laughs> okay so it was released 19 years after the uh the Last Crusade, and so they have to explain why Indiana Jones is looking particularly haggard. Harrison Ford has aged somewhat, so they push it on three or four years on after the other film. There you go. Sure. He aged very quickly. Makes sense. Watching a feel, it's basically watching a fairly improbable plot unravel, not because of the alien involvement, but because Harrison Ford just looks too old. And if you don't believe it, you've got to see his son doing all the stunts he would be doing if he was younger right next to him. One. Gentlemen, the worst treasure hunt film ever cannot be anything other than 2006's The Da Vinci Code. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Directed by Ron Howard, who frankly should have known better, and starring Tom Hanks, Audrey Tattoo, and Ian McKellen. Gandalf, why did you let us down so? <laughs> murder inside the Louvre and clues in Da Vinci paintings lead to a discovery of a religious mystery protected by a secret society for 2,000 years, which could shake the foundations of Christianity. Not really. Now, are you just okay. against this because they're having a crack at Christianity? No, I'm against this because I'm a historian. Basically, <laughs> it turns out Jesus had a wife, a baby. A Christi- Christianity is fiction, something that came as a great surprise to the world's leading historians. Mm, that all of those things happen according yeah, to Dan Brown. I know. Officials from Britain's Westminster Abbey actually refused to have anything to do with the film, even though the plot is significantly focusing on Westminster Abbey. They actually had to film the thing in Lincoln Cathedral in the end because it was. It, it is so. It is been so ridiculed uh, as a film and not because there are improbable storylines coming out in Hollywood there are always improbable storylines these are the split okay <laughs> there are all sorts of strange storylines coming out in Hollywood but if you're going to go to the trouble of claiming that it was true you better make sure your research is on and I'm afraid that Dan Brown who wrote the original novel scores my top point for the most appalling treasure hunt ever because there are about as many errors of fact, misinterpretations, distortions and outright falsehoods in the Da Vinci Code as there are in his 604-page novel. Wait, please. You're saying the Holy Grail is a person? A woman? And it turns out she makes an appearance. Right there. But they're all men. Are they? What about that figure on the right hand of our Lord, seated in the place of honor? Flowing red hair, folded feminine hands, hint of a bosom, no? Incroyable. Well, thank you, Mr. Hadley, for unearthing those gems for us. <laughs> don't, don't you think McKellen should have stayed in Moria? Honestly. <laughs> why come out for that? <sighs> well, it's time to say goodbye for this edition of The Big Picture. But coming up next week, Mark Wahlberg hunting the Boston Marathon Bombers in Patriot's Day. And one of 2017's most challenging spiritual films, Martin Scorsese's Silence. And the greatest top five the world has ever seen. Hopefully. <laughs> Probably. I reckon that's going to show up. I also will show up and I will remain Ben McKechnie. And I'll still be Mark Hadley. See you next week. The Big Picture is a Bible Society Australia production. Sharing the light of God's word into every corner of your world. 